A Christian psychologist who used to teach at Stanford named Dr. James Dobson years ago told the story that when his 14-year-old daughter was riding in the car with him one day, uh, they were driving through uh, kind of a tough neighborhood in a larger city. His little, little boy, who was about five, was sitting in the back seat. And as they drove by uh, downtown, they saw there was a triple X rated movie theater they went past. And the daughter said to him, this 14, 14-year-old said, Dad, I've heard of X-rated movies before, but what is triple X? And he said, oh, honey, it's a movie where people just do the most horrible, awful things to each other you could ever imagine. A couple days later, his little boy, who overheard this, was sitting in the family room playing with one of his friends, some toys on the and Dr. Dobson was sitting nearby reading the paper, and he heard his little son ask his friend, do you know what they do in triple X movies? And his friend said, no. And the boy said, they spit on each other. <laughs> it's interesting, the innocence of children when it comes to issues of sexuality. Uh, the innocent of, innocence of a little child. You know, when, when was your first... When was your first introduction to the perversion of sexuality? You know, how old were you when, when you started to see and, and understand that? It's interesting that even in our culture today, as, even as it gets more and more ungodly, we still see a need to keep children away from, from certain things that pertain to the commandment that's in front of us. The serial killer Ted Bundy, who was uh, convicted and put to death for crimes not only of murder but sexual crimes, uh, said that he was introduced to all of this when he was probably only about 12 years old through pornography. And he said that in an interview before he died, the day before he died, that of all the men that he had met in prison who were in prison for sexual crimes, they had all started with pornography back at about that age. It's interesting that the sexuality is a, is a gift from God, obviously to be used inside of marriage, but it's a wonderful blessing and a wonderful gift from God. It was not intended by him at all to be something negative or filthy or dirty. But following the fall into sin, it sure didn't take human beings very long to take this precious gift from God and drag it down into the sewer where it still is in our culture today. It's interesting that the last verse in the Bible in the pre-fallen world, okay, the last verse of Genesis chapter 2, before you get to the incident of the fall into sin, describes the beauty of marriage. Listen again. God says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And then it says, The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. The very clothing we're all wearing today, thank goodness, is a reminder of the fall into sin. It's a recognition, a subtle, uh, unwritten, but recognition of the guilt of, of man's nakedness and how it can be so abused. And boy, as soon as that fall into sin takes place and you're reading through Genesis, just one after another we see uh, the attacks on marriage, we see the attacks on sexuality. Adam and Eve 
start grumbling against each other. I wonder what kind of conversations they had for months following the fall into sin. We're told, sons of God saw the daughters of men, meaning pagan unbelievers, and married them. And God gets so angry that he finally brings about the great flood. It says, God says, my spirit will not contend with men forever. Abraham and his wife Sarah, unable to have children, he turns to a handmaiden, Hagar, and has a baby with her. And during that time, we're told Hagar despises Sarah because she's able to carry Abram's child. We think about the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah that got, brought God's destruction. The sins of incest between Lot and his own daughters. These are just in the earliest chapters of the book of Genesis. How quickly, how quickly this sin just infected humanity. You know, Satan doesn't spend any time trying to destroy your relationship with your dentist because it really doesn't matter to him or your doctor for that matter. But marriage, your family relationships, those matter to him. Those matter to his cause. He wants badly to wreck those and to destroy those because he knows that those are the, the precious place where the gift of faith in Christ is passed on in the family to the children. And so he spends, he spends a lot of time and energy and has come up with a variety of weapons to try to rip apart marriage and to cause us to, to despise it and so on. Probably one of his greatest weapons today is that of the internet. And the internet has now become the new conduit in our culture for prostitution. The money, the money doesn't go directly to the prostitute or the pimp, but the money now travels through a variety of sources to finally make it back to that prostitute. And it's all based upon a lie. It's based upon the lie that this person somehow wants some type of relationship with you. And about one out of, more than one out of every three hits on the internet goes to uh, pornography today. And um, one, third of the, uh, one third of the hits are by women. It's not just a men issue. The book of Proverbs talks about how easily people can be led by someone um, away from their spouse and things. And it talks about how this man is heading to a prostitute being seduced by her, and this is a great line. He follows her like an ox being led to the slaughter. And how easily they can just be led away and so on. This temptation is a really powerful lure inside of all of us. Now on the other end of the spectrum, way on the other end of the spectrum, there are those who, by God's work in their hearts, have, have kept themselves pure from this, are saving themselves for marriage. It's a wonderful thing, a wonderful blessing to be able to do that. But we can also be tempted to look at all the evil in the world in that condition and say, God, I thank you. I'm not like all those other people out there who are so filthy. God has established this sixth commandment as a fortress as a fortress to protect his precious gift of marriage that he gives to us. And when we, by faith, live inside of its walls and stay inside of its protection, it's always for our good. It's always for our blessing. Listen to what the large catechism says. 
God's purpose was that married couples might be true to each other, beget children, and nourish and raise them to his glory. Therefore, God has blessed this institution above all others, being marriage, and made everything on earth to serve and spring forth from it. Now, when, whenever this subject comes up, uh, this cuts deep, I know, into my heart and conscience. And I know that's true for, for many people here today, too. And sometimes when we think about how easy it is for, for us to, to fall into all the sins that pertain to the Sixth Commandment, uh, we can really be struck with self-loathing, just kind of a self-hatred. Some people just have a hard time forgiving themselves for how deep into this sin and this sewer that they have fallen. But your gracious and loving God does not want you to give up. Many people use this temptation that it, because it's so challenging to deal with to just walk away from the church. It's too hard. It's just too tough. I keep falling back into it too frequently. But don't give up. The answer is not to run from God and push yourself away from him. The answer is to run at him, to run toward him, and drop down in repentance along with me and so many others and seek his grace and his forgiveness that he has given you and gives you so freely through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Come with all of us wicked, sinful people to the cross in repentance. And there we learn that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. I want you to hear that very personally again for yourself, for whichever sin about this is, is hard, hardest on your conscience right now. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. God makes sure not to specify certain sins that are outside of that blood. It all covers all sin, yours included. It's interesting when you, the first page of the New Testament to introduce us to the life of Christ in our Bibles is Matthew chapter 1. It's the genealogy, the family tree, if you will, of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit in that chapter, if you go back and read it, it's all a bunch of names, but if you go back and read it, the Holy Spirit specifically mentions those who have fallen into sexual sin, sins and even brings up the sin. Judah, who slept with Tamar, his own daughter-in-law, thinking she was a prostitute. Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho. David and his sins with Bathsheba. That incident likewise is mentioned. It's as if God the Holy Spirit wanted you and me to know that as wicked and fallen as we can be, we are still in the family tree of our Lord Jesus Christ, whose holy and precious blood now has been given to us in the waters of baptism to cover us and to shed us with, uh, cover us with his beautiful righteousness and forgiveness. And so God's God very specifically in Scripture uses the relationship between a husband and wife to depict how he loves you and how he wants to be united with you forever. In baptism, he dresses you with that beautiful white gown that brides wear at their wedding, the righteousness of Christ. Heaven is described to us as a marriage feast. And no wonder our Lord Jesus used a wedding and a marriage to be the first place where he displayed his divine power as he had come into the world to start his ministry. May God give us hearts of faith in that wonderful Savior who will take us to heaven someday, that we might cherish his gifts and utilize them for our welfare and our good. 
Amen.